No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Islanders are back from a big road trip, and they face the Blue Jackets in Brooklyn this Saturday. Get to Game Time and see if you can find last-minute deals on some great tickets. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hey, everybody. It's Arthur Staple, your Islanders beat writer from The Athletic. Welcome to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Today, with my buddy Mark Parrish. What's up, Mark? Hi, Arthur. How you doing, bud? I'm good. We're going to uh, break down our 2010s all-decade team for the Islanders, uh, and maybe since Mark is here, to you know, he's he's a candidate for the 2000s all-decade team. Not quite as impressive a list of guys on the 2000s team, but we'll still maybe we'll throw a team out there and we'll see if Mark ends up on it. This is going to be an honest vote here. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm going to be complete, complete, completely biased. <laughs> you should be. You should be. Um, but our all-decade blitz at The Athletic, uh, every NHL beat writer has uh, put together a 2010s all-decade team, which you can check out at The Athletic. Uh, we also have an oral history running of uh, the classic fight night game in 2011 between the Islanders and the Penguins. That was kind of the last all-out game-long brawl of its kind, and uh, I talked to a lot of great people, um, a little bit from Zenit Kanopka, some from some pit- the Pittsburgh side, Max Talbot, who was kind of the target, and Brent Johnson, who had the famous one-punch fight with Rick DiPietro. A lot of great voices in that one, uh, a lot of funny stories. Just uh, it feels like a long, a lot longer ago than, than eight years that that game happened because it feels like it's from a bygone era. So I hope everyone will check that out. It was part of our all-decade blitz. But for now, we're diving in on my all-decade team, which I've already run by Mark, and we can uh, we can kind of debate some of the choices. So uh, here we go. I, for, our, for, the, for our site, I picked a full 23-man roster because, hey, why not? You know, it's, uh, we can kind of do whatever we want. And we'll just talk about my top line for now. It's, it's Anders Lee, John Tavares, Kyle Opozo. Um, there's definitely some other, some other candidates if you're just picking three forwards. But for me, those are those are three guys who never really played together. Pozo was was already gone when before Anders Lee became uh, a mainstay with Tavares. But they both spent a lot of time on, on Tavares's wing, and and both really thrived as a result. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of that? Those choices up front. Well, you know how much I hate agreeing with you, but that is exactly <laughs> how I had it written down too. Anders Lee, Tavares, Kyle Pozo. It just, in my opinion, when you go through, you look at the stats, you look at what they've done, what kind of players they are, the leaders they are. It, I think it was actually a pretty easy decision to to pick them as a top line. But I have quite a few honorable mentions as well, though. So I'd like to hear your whole roster, but I didn't All put right. that much work into it. I'll, we'll get to it in a minute. I mean, I, you know, I think starting at center, um, even with how he left uh, a couple of years ago, there's no debating that, that John Tavares belongs on this list he belongs on a lot of all-time lists with the islanders um you know i think when you have that that kind of player who came in at the beginning of the decade and came into a team that was not good uh and you know had a had the impact that he had 54 points as a rookie and then growing to the point where he was uh he was basically one extra 
phantom assist or two away from winning the scoring title in uh, in 2015. Um, he's been a he's been he's a he was a Hart Trophy finalist twice with this team, once in the lockout shortened year and once in that 2014-15 season. Scored the double overtime goal uh, to eliminate the Panthers and send the Islanders to the second round for the first time in 23 years back in 2016. Uh, anything big that happened before last season, John Tavares was a part of it. So I think it's hard to it's hard to put him anywhere but but the top center spot on this list. No doubt, he's the he's the player of the decade for the Islanders. And obviously, you can look at some other guys had some great years or in there too. But regardless of how it finished, uh, yeah, you nailed it. He yeah, earned it. Think- yeah, he's he's got like 180 more points than anybody else for the decade in, in an Islanders uniform. So uh, impressive. Um, you know, fans will can can be can boo him until the end of time, which I'm sure some of them <laughs> will. But uh, but there's no arguing with his legacy here. Uh, on the left side, you know, there's I think there's some other guys that uh, that have a case. You know, if you if you view Brock Nelson, who played wing and center, if you view him just as a forward, he's you know he's in the debate uh, for that. Yep that top three group, Josh Bailey, not just for the longevity for having played more games than anybody else in the decade. Um, but come on in the last three plus years to be, uh, a, a, you know, a reliable scorer and a big contributor, certainly in the playoffs, uh, all the way along. Josh is, uh, is one of the better playoff performers the Islanders have had in their, in their, you know, modest playoff history this decade. Um, but I think, I think Lee, um, just for his ability to, to score goals, you know, he's the he's the only forty goal scorer of the decade for the Islanders. Um, he's really only I think they only had two in the last two decades. Uh, nothing personal against you from the two thousands, but it was <laughs> it was it was him and Jason Blake I think since since the turn of the of the century. So um, it's hard yeah. to do these days, and it was hard to do back then too. Um, you know, where do you think uh, you know you, you you agreed with me, but you can tell us why uh, Anders is the I, left wing. Uh, obviously, uh, very biased for him as well, the Minnesota boy. <laughs> and obviously, I love the way he plays. I love the way he gets in front of the net, his tips, the way he disrupts things. Uh, the other things are the intangibles for me as well. You can't you can't look past him. Uh, you know, the captain now as Tavares is gone. He's got the C, his leadership, just kind of the stand-up character that he has as well as put up points. When you say that, two players since the millennia that have scored 40 goals for the Hunts, two players, that's, that's incredible. And it also tells you how hard it is to do these days. Yeah. And, and since we talked about, uh, Garth Snow in depth, uh, a week ago, uh, I always hear from fan, you know, when you see it, whether it's a, a Henrik Zetterberg or a Henrik Lundquist, a guy that, that gets plucked out of the late rounds and they're, you know, Islander fans are like, why don't we get guys like that? Well, you got one. It's Anders Lee. Garth Snow yeah. and his staff identified this guy. He, everyone thought he was going to go play football in college. Uh, they picked him 152nd overall back in 2009, the Tavares draft. He, you know, was at Notre Dame, uh, turned pro, and all he does is, is has all he's done is is score big goals and score goals. It's yeah. uh, you know, it's it's again, it's it's a it's a role that doesn't that doesn't come up quite as much, especially a power forward type like him. It's you know, the game is trending in a different direction, but here he is, not just scoring goals, but also signing up for long term, wearing the C on a on a team that you know is a capital T team right now. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's uh, I think it's a pretty easy choice. On the right side with Kyle Pozo, uh, I'm not just favoring the Minnesota guys. Trust me, um, <laughs> I am. <laughs> and he really only played, you know, a little bit more than half the decade, uh, having left uh, before the 16-17 season in free agency. 
But I think to that point, especially those last two years, uh, he and Tavares were, were kind of the key offensive cogs of this team. And I think what cements it for me as him being the top right wing uh, over guys like Jordan Eberle, uh, you know, Ryan Strome maybe gets in the conversation. Michael Grabner is probably in that conversation too. Uh, for Opozo, I think it was that 13-14 season when Tavares was injured at the Olympics, uh, missed the last, I think, 20-some-odd games after that after the, the tournament ended uh, with a knee injury that required a few months of, of rehab. And Kyle Opozo was the ended up being the leading scorer on the team by a decent margin. He continued his scoring pace without Tavares in the lineup, and, and the team wasn't that bad. I think they were underestimated a lot, and they were pretty much dead in the water to begin with, but without a number one center... Calipozo still still led that team pretty well, and uh, and I think that for me the memory of that year is is pretty strong and and kind of puts him over the top. Very very much so, and he's you know great players. They they elevate their game in moments like that when they need you. When players go down and they need a lift, and he really was the motor. There's the engine that just kept this car going, that kept the Islanders moving forward. And and as he went, the Islanders went. The way he moved, the way his feet. You could see his energy was just, uh, you know, it just went right across the bench. Everybody had had to keep up with him. He moved his feet and skated so well and get in on four check that everybody had to keep up with him if they just wanted to play. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, he he was, uh, you know, he and Anders were were similar style players. I think Kyle's a little bit more, a little bit better in open ice and uh, maybe a little bit better shot from distance. But uh, but guys that were that are bigger guys that can that get in, in the dirty areas and, and are able to produce and also quality people too, who, uh, you know, I think if, if Tavares weren't an Islander, uh, you know, if they didn't get him with that number one pick in 2009, I think Calipozo would have been the guy wearing the C for a long, long time here. Yeah, um, he could really, he could play any style of game you wanted, whether you wanted to open it up in skill, you wanted to get down and dirty. That was what I just enjoyed watching him play just because he would, he would, he would change his game to whatever was needed at the time. Yeah. So moving beyond those top three, just we've mentioned some other some other forwards. Uh, you know, I put like I said, I put together a four line team. I'll just run through quickly. Um, my second line, I had Nelson on the wing because they're pretty deep at center on this uh, decade group. Matthew Barzal is the number two center. I think um, you talk about Tavares is the clear number one guy. Well, well, as far as skill goes, you know, Matthew Barzal. You know, he. I. I I'll say this now. He's going to be the guy of the 2020s if we're doing another if we're all still here <laughs> in 2930 and we're doing another of these all decade teams Matthew Barzell is going to be the guy that we talk about the way that that way that we're talking about Tavares now because that's going to be a no-brainer. Um oh, 100%. I still yeah. had, had trouble trying kind of not kind of debating for him for this decade <laughs> for what he's done and the way Tavares left to be honest with you but obviously Tavares earned it. Yeah. Uh, and I've got Jordan Eberle on the right side on my second line which um you know I tried to make proper lines on this team and and uh you know i think the barzal eberly connection has been a really strong one these last couple years and and i think what jordan eberly did in the playoffs last year with nine points in eight games was big for him dispelled a lot of a lot of talk about him not being a primetime performer from his years in edmonton and uh certainly helped him get an extension and i think you know he's he was set back by a knee injury they cost him a lot of this uh this you know the streak that the islanders were on recently um but I think he's still he's still a guy in his prime, and uh, and I think his his couple years here so far, his two plus years, um, he's he's as as established a guy as the Islanders have acquired in a long time, and I think he kind of quietly goes about 
the, you know, the, the way that he plays, he's just, you know, I think he's kind of a throwback to the, the 90s era when, when you could get uh, an, a guy in that era who was maybe an 80, 90 point scorer that wasn't necessarily a, a central figure on, on a single team, but, um, but you know what you're getting with him and that's, uh, you know, true professionals sometimes are hard to come by. That's and that consistency. That's what you're looking for. That's what you're hoping for from everybody in your lineup is that consistency. What you're going to get out of them every single day, whether it's practice, whether it's games, he just comes to work and just gets comes to the office and gets to work. Yeah, and uh, and Brock Nelson on the wing there. Like I said, he you know Jack Capuano had a hard time putting him in the middle uh, early in his career just because he I don't know if he had the had the awareness the 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 strength to kind of be a, a full-time center, but I think his ability to produce all the way through and, and then on into last season when he really blossomed under Barry Trotz, uh, you know, hundred and I believe it's 130 goals he's got for the decade, which is uh, just behind Tavares and Lee. Um, so that's, uh, that's worth second line to me. And I think that's, that's it. For yeah, the, that's not too bad for the second line. That's it for the Minnesota guys. So <laughs> calm down. Ow. That's it. Uh, well, we'll get to some on D, I think. I was going to say, um, I think I got one more. <laughs> my third line, which this was a line that was a line for a decent amount of the, the 2010s, uh, was Josh Bailey, Franz Nielsen, and Michael Grabner. And it's it's funny now. Um, I think a lot of the newer Islander fans don't really remember back to the, the bad old days of the early 2010s when, in addition to Tavares and some other highlights here and there the guys to watch on this team were Franz Nielsen and Michael Grabner especially as penalty killers they were they were as dangerous on the kill as any any shorthanded tandem I can think of in this decade and Grabner's speed which he still has now that he's an old man of I believe 33 um <laughs> Franz is uh Franz is in a tough situation in Detroit um you know I, I think that's uh you know that and when you're when you're on a bad team, I imagine age catches up with you a little bit more than it would if you were uh, if you were winning games. But uh, but he's still a consummate pro and and one of the all time best people who's who's been around this Islander organization. Um, and I and I like to think that if he did stay uh, in that summer of 2016, he'd probably be a little bit overpaid right now. But but uh, mm-hmm. as beloved as any Islander who's who's been. I mean he he was he was the guy. Um, he was kind of the first guy who made it through all the dark, the dark times to have some success. And it was, uh, it was well-deserved with him because he was a, he was a real jack of all trades when he was here in Bailey, you know, when he played with those two guys, he was, he was kind of a bona fide third liner. Um, he was, you know, he kind of projected out as that 30, 40, 45 point guy for, for a long time, which is nothing to sneeze at, but, uh, he's turned himself into something a bit different in the last few years. Yeah, he's really come on as of late, and, and typically you'll, you'll see some scoring maybe a little bit earlier on where it kind of show you, but he, he just stuck with it, stuck with his game, and then all of a sudden he just started to explode, and his points and everything started to go up, and you could see his confidence went up. He'd hold on to the puck more, uh, playing on the power play more, all those things that just show that all will just go with confidence of a hockey player. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been fun to watch, and the story I did on him a couple weeks ago was uh, was a fun one to put together talking to. Tavares and Kyle Opozo about uh, a guy who's still a good friend of theirs, and and they were both, you know, uh, John is not the most effusive guy in the world, but talking to him about his friends like Josh, uh, he does light up and and sounds ecstatic that because they both know how much grief Bailey took uh, early in his career, mostly from Islander fans thinking that a, a ninth overall pick should be a bigger scorer, but um, but I think the way that he's his kind of slow and steady career, and and even seeing him this year. 
filling in as a third line, sometimes even a fourth line wing, uh, you know, rotating around, power play, penalty kill. Um, he's uh, he's Barry Trotz's Swiss Army knife, as, as Barry put it, and and that's uh, that's nothing. You know, he he means that as a compliment that that this guy is good <laughs> oh, good, yeah. good enough to play with anybody and play in any role. And uh, being on a third line for an all decade team doesn't seem so bad after that. <laughs> shows shows his character, his hockey IQ, everything for the coach to be able to trust you in that many situations, and for you to have the character to back off, to to be taken off the penalty kill when you don't maybe need to be there, or if you got to go from the first to the third line, all of that can be tough on certain guys' egos. Obviously, that just shows his character and what kind of person he is in his core. Yeah, our fourth line is the fourth line of the decade: uh, Matt Martin, Casey Sezikis, Cal Clutterbuck. Uh, hard to separate these guys; they're all. Casey Zeke has just played his 500th uh, game in the NHL, all, all with the Islanders. Matt Martin is over 500 games with the Islanders, even with his two-year detour to Toronto. And Cal Clutterbuck's getting close to 500 games. So, testament to their their durability throughout their throughout the decade, and uh, and just the the chemistry that three guys that maybe uh, in different on different situations in different organizations might be borderline NHLers right now, but uh, they've got something special here with Barry Trotz. It started under Jack Capuano and um, it's uh, it's still pretty impressive to see and, and see the transformation of that line from being a, a crash and bang and en- pure energy line into a checking line, a line that's got a lot of responsibility on this team and, uh, and, and one at least with Zizekas and Clutterbuck that, that fills that, that top penalty kill forward role too to to pretty good effect it's a, it's it's a fourth line and i have trouble calling it a fourth line it's so good it's it's uh for them how many games do they start games how many times coming all, down the stretch are they them. playing <laughs> yeah i mean that's just incredible and how, how can you call that a fourth line and yeah. they, they are the the chemistry that they have the way they complement each other on the ice and obviously just the kind of people they are their hard work the way they can just go about their business and not just usually a fourth line it's like i right, just don't get scored on guys okay you can actually there's games where they're the best line plenty of games where they're the best line and do the majority of the scoring as well and that's that's why i have a hard time calling them a fourth line yeah my uh, my spare forwards for this group were that this might have been one of the tougher decisions that I had. Uh, I went with Anthony Beauvillier, maybe a little recency bias, but I think he's a guy who, again, much like uh, Josh Bailey, uh, Beauvillier has gotten to a little quicker in his career. He's still only twenty three. Um, really, uh, a guy who's a very versatile player right now, and and he's uh, he's been on a really good hot streak scoring-wise. Uh, you know, he's been part of that second line with Nelson and Derek Broussard that's been really hot these last couple weeks. Um, but just, uh, you know, considering he was a guy who made the team at 18 and, and has, bar- you know, spent a couple weeks in the minors, but, but he's made himself into a real top six NHL player, and it's exactly what the Islanders needed this year. So he's one of my extras. And Matt Molson, going back to the opposite end of the decade, who was, uh, he was, he was Anders Lee before Anders Lee was in the NHL. Matt was uh, was Tavares's uh, left left side guy, his running mate, uh, his roommate. I think they both lived in in uh, Doug Waite's guest house back in the day, in the at the dawn of this decade. <laughs> and um, and Matt, uh, you know, he parlayed being a, a power forward with who, with not the best skating skills, uh, but he had a nose for the net and knew where the puck was and deposited in the net an awful lot. You know, three straight thirty goal seasons turn that into a nice contract from the Sabres. And, and to his credit, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, you and I, about um, about Andrew Ladd's situation and, and your situation at the end of your career. Matt Molson is, you know, he's still playing 
still still playing in the AHL. He doesn't really have much chance uh, of of getting a sniff in the NHL anymore. But he doesn't care. He likes he likes that yeah. that mentorship role. So a guy who can fill that role can can be on our all decade team any day. Absolutely. Again, character, and that's the one thing it's we seem to be uh, repeating in this is a lot of character. <laughs> there's a lot of work ethic. So it, it, it's not more than just skill. It's skill can get you to the NHL, but you've got to have a lot more than just that. You got to have a heart. You've got to have character. You got to be just a good person to get there as well, just to have the work ethic to stay. Yeah, and just missing the cut for me, uh, I'd name off three guys off the top of my head for forwards: Nikolai Kuhlman, who was uh, he was just a workhorse, a guy who who went out there. He looked like a you know, I'm not saying this because he's Russian. He looked like an assassin. He just had the calmest face <laughs> while he was knocking people down or scoring the occasional goal. Just, just the steadiest guy around, and and uh, filled a bigger role with the Islanders. And I think people realized during his time here. Uh, P.A. Parento, who was uh, on the right side with Tavares and Molson those first couple years of the decade, and uh, I think was almost a point of game player. Turned that into a nice contract from Colorado, and. Now happily retired, but uh, but I think the Islanders were the team that uh, where he really started to blossom, and Ryan Strom, who um, was a, a another high pick early in the decade, and and came in as a young guy with a lot of promise, and didn't quite fulfill it. Had a couple of really good seasons. One of one the one 2015 playoffs against Washington, where he was on the right side with Tavares and had a good series, um, but uh, but never was quite able to put it together on a on a fully consistent basis. And now he's back in New York, and he's a pretty good player with the Rangers, getting to play with Artemi Panarin and getting a lot of power play time. So good for him. But uh, but yeah, those are those are my three just missed the cut for for forwards. But we'll move move to the defense now. And I think the top pair, the guys, if you were just going to pick uh, one forward line, one D pair, and one goalie, these these guys, Nick Letty and Johnny Boychuk. The day that they came to the Islanders, October fourth, two thousand fourteen, it was close to the midpoint of the decade. But man, um, it's hard to remember what what happened much before that. Before they came here, especially <laughs> on D, uh, this was a team that that was in need of guys that could fill that top pair role. And they came here on the same day. Um, they were paired together the first game a couple days later, and and it seems like they've barely been split up since. So hard to argue with those guys as the top pair. I would think. It is, and, and I I got I had Letty, and I couldn't decide between Boychuk and Hamonic. I kind of I was just I'm still going back and forth in my head. I think they're both just spectacular players. It's easy to go with Boychuk because of Letty, their tandem, you know, the way they play together as as a D pair. Uh, but I really think Hamonic was one of the more underrated D when he was here in the NHL. Yeah, yeah, and and also. Uh, if you're looking for good people, Travis Hamanick, uh is, is always going to be near the top of your list. A guy who, um, you know, set up a foundation for for kids who lost parents, brought, brought them to games. There were a lot of kids and families that uh, had never seen hockey before who, from the island who he would bring in. Um, just a guy who uh, who liked that part of the job almost as much as he liked the on ice part of the job. And uh, I had him on my second pair with Calvin DeHaan, and that was a a pairing that worked pretty well for a couple of years for Jack Capuano. And I think, uh, you know, Hamannick, um getting traded, uh, it was another big trade by Garth Snow, getting those first and second round picks from Calgary um, for Hamannick. And, uh, you know, I think seeing the way the Flames have, have struggled a bit uh, this year, I don't know if, if Travis's game is is built for the, the late 2010s as a defenseman, but, uh, but as a throwback and as a guy who was always willing to to either put his face in front of a slap shot or, or you know, drop his gloves or do whatever, and, and also a pretty good defenseman. So yeah, it's uh, that's a decent uh, that's a decent debate to have about who's the top 
right D for, for the Islanders for this decade. But, and then Calvin DeHaan, part of that big 2009 draft, he, um, you know, shoulder injuries kind of, kind of derailed some of his time, uh, especially development time coming up through. But once he was, once he was an Islander, he was, he was about as steady as they come and uh, a very unflashy mm-hmm. guy who, you know, uh, the best, the best defenseman in the league outside of the, the, the super high end offensive guys, the best defenseman in the league are guys you barely know and barely notice out there. They just keep the puck away from danger and keep guys out of the, out of the sight line of their goalie and then can, you know, just get the puck up the ice. And he was, he was extremely good at all three of those things. Absolutely. That's uh, when people will tell me like, oh, I didn't even, I hear it all the time with people like, man, I watched San Jose and I didn't even notice Paul Martin out there. And so well, that's because he's doing his job. Exactly. He's, he's one of those guys. If you don't notice him, that means he's been playing just about perfect. Exactly. My third pair, uh, Thomas Hickey, who I believe uh, has the, uh, has the most games played, at least, uh, at least when I put this all-decade team together. Now that uh, Hickey's unfortunately in Bridgeport, but uh, 449 games with the Islanders for the decade, which was the most of any defenseman, um, and a guy who was a number four overall pick in LA. Never, never was able to crack their NHL roster after five years in the minors, and got scooped up on waivers before the the lockout shortened season. And and uh, one of the smarter guys out there, a guy who. Didn't have the the size necessarily to withstand a lot of punishment on the on the defensive side, but but learned how to use his body well and uh, and a, and really good instincts and and a, a prime time overtime player. He scored that overtime goal um, in Game Three against the Panthers uh, to give the Islanders a lead in that series in 2016, and that was as big a goal as uh, as any in that series. So he definitely earns a spot on this team, and I had him alongside Ryan Pollock, who. Probably right now is the closest thing the Islanders have to a number one defenseman, a guy who plays in all situations, and he's got the big shot. Um, he's using it really well, especially of late. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is, uh, you know, he was a guy. I think some stops and starts also with his development, with whether it was with injury or just kind of bad timing coming up. But uh, but he's here now, and uh, of the current guys, I think he's probably the best one that they have. I can, yeah, I completely agree, and and he may still be developing. It's just it takes a bit longer for D, like you said, the injuries, situations. You never know really when a defenseman is really going to kind of come into his own, and he may very well end up being a top number one D in this league. Yeah, my my seventh defenseman is Adam Pellick on this all decade team, and uh, you know he's a guy. I think we talked about this on our Garth Snow episode last last week. He's um, you know he's a guy who's I think day by day. I think a lot more people are starting to learn about him. And, uh, you know, he was kind of the main focus of, of Garth Snow's uh, expansion deal with Vegas to keep uh, keep more of his defensemen protected. And Pellick was kind of the main one. And I think at the time people were scratching their heads. And now if you watch him play and, and see him paired with Pollock going against every team's top line, uh, plays a lot of heavy PK minutes. He's not uh, certainly not a flashy guy at all. But uh, but man, he is effective. And uh, And I think the way that Barry Trotz coaches, you know, I think you know, it, it's a copycat league, and I wonder if now we're going to start swinging back around to seeing more big, mobile young defensemen who can who who were excel at defending rather than trying to get up the ice and getting to the play and do the things that are that are kind of get the points and get a little more noticed because uh, the way Pellick defends, um, it's an art, and uh, and he's he's doing it very well. So if he maybe had a couple more years uh, in this decade playing at the NHL level, I might have squeezed him up into the top six but for right now he's he's our extra and thinking of some guys that that just missed the cut um 
you know, maybe guys that didn't have quite as much time. Mark Streit, who was the captain before John Tavares, uh, yeah. you know, an all an all world guy in terms of class and 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 professionalism, and I think was a big influence on some of the younger guys coming up through this system with the Islanders during his time here. Luba Vishnovsky, who um, Thomas Hickey. Uh, still to this day talks about is how much he learned from Lubo. Uh, and he was, again, a guy who was only here for a couple of years, but, uh, but was it mm-hmm. kind of here at a, at a pivotal point in the mid two thousands to, to help get this team, you know, kind of started on, uh, on their rise back to respectability. Um, so yeah, those are, those are two veteran guys. I think that just missed the cut for me. Yeah. Now, uh, now in goal, I think if you're picking one goalie for the decade, uh, my choice is Thomas Grice. And I certainly would never have thought that a couple of years ago, even after 2016, <laughs> when it was it was the Tavares and Grice show to get past the Panthers. You know, Grice, I think it's I think it's easy to forget how good he was that season uh, with Yara Halak kind of beset by injuries. And then in that playoff series against Florida, he was lights out, you know, stopped an overtime penalty shot down in Florida in game five, which was when the series was 2-2. Um just a real, real strong run for him and, and kind of unexpected. Uh, and then now, you know, between last year and this year, leading the leading goalie and save percentage in the league since the start of last season at, at almost 34 years old, uh, going into a contract year. Um, it's uh, It's been an amazing transformation for him. He's, he's getting close to 100 career wins with the Islanders, which is uh, a milestone that very, very few goalies have hit. This is not a goalie-friendly <laughs> franchise that's for sure um so yeah so that's uh he's kind of my clear-cut choice there yeah uh yes i had him as well and um i did have trouble i mean i know how big of a year my boy robbie leonard had last year and all that of course i uh i wanted to give it to him but yeah you know you look at what grice did as well with him and he's but he's done it where he's been able to stay so consistent where he's playing part-time and sometimes he has to sit back and take the backup role uh you know and that goes to his character the way he can come in late and the way he's played and bailed out bailed them out in late in games and help them on comeback wins there's so many things that he just comes in and it's it's almost like he can flip a switch and he's ready for the game it's really been impressive to watch in the last couple of years and obviously you know talking to robin leonard last year uh just raved about thomas and how great of a guy he was and how much fun he had with him and how easy he made it for him to come in how comfortable he made it for him and all that so yeah i 100 percent agree with grice um as far as a second goalie if we're picking one that was a tough one for me you know yaroslav halak came in here and uh before the 2014-15 season set a franchise record for wins that year um, but the rest of his time here was kind of beset by injuries, a little bit of disagreement with the front office, uh, a long stretch in, in the minors. And it's great to see Halak is still a key contributor in Boston where he's kind of the, you know, he's the, 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 the number two to Tuka Rask, but I think has carried a lot of the load through last regular season and, and then part of this regular season already. Um, but like you said, Leonard had uh, a season for the ages last year. Yeah. Uh, Vezina finalist, part of the Jennings Trophy, Masterton Trophy. I think the the personal story plus what he was able to do on the ice, and he's continuing it in Chicago. He's you know when you look at the save percentage leaders, he's still right up there. Uh, so for me, the impact of that season puts Leonard ahead of of Halak. I don't know yeah. if you agree. You are you are buddies with Robin, so maybe you will. I, but I said very biased. <laughs> it's true as long as you admit it. Um, <laughs> and for coach of this decade, you know Jack Capuano coached 483 games in the 2010s. 227 wins. Those are going to be a while before someone 
gets past that. But Barry Trotz is Barry Trotz. And um, the impact that he's had last season and into this season, it's hard to say anybody has had any coach in the Islanders' recent history since Al Arbor and any coach in the NHL has had the sort of impact that he's had on a team. And uh, so Barry Trotz... Uh, maybe with a with a little less time, but uh, but a lot a lot a really huge impact gets the nod as the as the coach of the decade for me. And this is the one time I'm not going to be biased. I, Cappy's a great guy. I love Cappy, but yeah, you can't deny what Barry has come in and done in just a little over a season in one year. Uh, the impact he's made, like you said, is is just flat out incredible. The way he has turned this team around. Uh, hats off, and Cappy did some great things. He helped guys develop here and there, but they, he never had a season. Or a, a tenure, any part of his season, any part of his tenure here, did he have any season or any kind of turnaround that Barry has done already in a year and twenty games? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. And now, since we have a, a little bit of time at the end here, uh, and we have uh, a classic Islander of the two thousands with us as our co-host, um, let's let's see if we can put together uh, a quick. Top line, top D pair goalie of the 2000s, which was outside of the first, you know, not the first three, 2000, 2001 is the, the less said the better, but the next three years until the, <laughs> until the lockout were, were probably the three really good seasons. And then it kind of fizzled a little bit after that. But um, who's your who's your super unbiased forward group? Top three. Super the unbiased. <laughs> Super, let's see if I'm going to be unbiased. Uh, I'd have to go with, uh, well, Jason Blake being one of the 240 goal scorers in the last two decades. Um, Yashin puts up a ton of points, put up some big numbers. Uh, as much as I love playing with Pekka because he made my job easy in the D zone, as I didn't have to do anything in the D zone, <laughs> uh, I got to give that one to Yash. Um, and then if I'm going to be unbiased then i'd have to go Bates on the right wing but if oh, i'm gonna stop. be biased i'm gonna have to go i think i hopefully earned it i think so let's i'm just gonna i'm looking at uh, a list of the 2000s the numbers mark Parrish, 118 goals in the in 2000s with the islanders that's third behind blake's 127 and yashin's 119 214 points fourth i think that i don't think you're you're 43 power play goals only behind yash um I think most of those of mine probably went off me from him shooting, and I appreciate that. Eight eighteen point five shooting percentage. Wow, you really made it count. Three feet out. (laughs) Well, it's an impressive number to me. I I I would go with the same group. I would go Blake Yashin, Parrish, Trent Hunter is in the conversation. Sean Bates in the conversation. Sarkovsky, maybe throw in there for some big, Sh- big Shatan, games. Or- Oleg Kavasha. If you if you only needed a guy every like five games, Oleg probably your man. But <laughs> Pekka for sure. I think there's there's yep. definite candidates, but uh, but I think that's your that's your top three. So don't don't feel don't feel you're biased. I think you earned it. Uh, on healthy, D, I saying on, it. <laughs> on D, I think we got a tougher choice. There's three clear candidates, and to eliminate one is going to be difficult. We've got Roman Hammerlick who was yep. a workhorse for you guys, and especially in that 2000-2001 year. I just look back, 16 goals. That's uh, that's hard to do on a terrible team as a defenseman. Um, <laughs> Kenny Janssen, who was just the consummate pro and uh, and a real effective guy for years before the 2000s and then in up, up to the lockout year. And, of course, Adrian Acoin, who 
probably t- still takes every other shift in his men's league just because he's used <laughs> to playing half an hour a night. So well, he never comes off. <laughs> so of those three, you played with all of them. Who's your? Who's your? I, I need. I need two guys on the ice to preserve a, a win in Game Seven. Who's? Who's your two that you're putting out there? Oh, it is a very tough decision, but and I'd have we're to definitely, go with. We're definitely going to call the third immediately when you're done and tell them that you that you eliminated them. But go ahead. Oh, <laughs> hope you don't have Hammerlick's number because I'm going with Janssen and Okoyan. Okay. Like, just the way that Kenny, the way he, uh, you know, the way he played in his, his own end, he, you couldn't get a pass through him. It was unbelievable how he could shut guys down, shut passes down, shut everything down. Uh, again, one of those guys that most of the time you wouldn't even notice how great he is because he never makes a mistake, so you don't really notice him. Uh, then O'Coin, you get the way he played, you know, both ends of the ice, obviously the big slap shot, big, tough, just big old barrel-chested guy that seemed to never, ever, ever, ever get tired. Uh, I'd have to go with those two. But, yes, Hammerlick's right there. Hammerlick's got one leg over the bench if one of those guys can change. <laughs> exactly. Now, in net, it's a challenge for sure. I think we just, when we were talking about the 2010s, we're, we were talking about uh, longevity, Halak versus one great year, Leonard. I think we can have the same debate for where Rick DiPietro, who did have some good years in the 2000s, versus Chris Osgood, who had one great year in his one year as an Islander. But um, I think for me, you know, as unceremoniously as things ended for him, Ricky was the number one overall pick for a reason, and he did have a couple of really good years in there. He was an all-star. Um, so I'm giving the nod to him for the for the work he did over the course of the decade and... and um, just to just to give him a nod because I think you know we malign him, uh, fans certainly malign him, and and he's he he's the symbol of something that uh, is, seems a bit unfair uh, to just sort of hang the whole debacle of of the late two thousands of the Islanders around one guy's neck, and uh, and I think he was you know he was a good goalie for a little bit of the time there, so I'm going to give him the nod. I, I agree too. I think he was hindered the injuries. You know, he went some some health problems where he just kind of never really was able to to find what he felt was his best game or best game or find his game that he wanted in the NHL. But the longevity, yeah, it's it, there was a bit of a revolving door, and he was the one time, the one bit that did solidify it at least for a little while as the number one goaltender for the Islanders. Sure. And now as coach, there were quite a few in the 2000s, but uh, I think we can both agree that that one guy who uh, yeah. helped you guys get to uh, some pretty big heights after a bad season and, and in his first NHL job, and he's certainly proven in the years since that he is a uh, he is an elite-level NHL coach. So, Peter Lavia, that's my, my coach of the 2000s. 100%. He was my favorite coach I ever played for. Uh, the way he turned us around from, like you said, that 2001-2001 season to the next, it was, uh, I don't, I, I haven't looked at the, the record books in a while, but at, at the time, I think it was like the fifth best turnaround in NHL history or something like that from going the, the worst team to fifth in the east and and whatnot and uh so yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun i just remember him the energy he would bring to each game and practice uh he was just a lot of fun to play for he's demanding i mean he expected you to work as hard and be as intense as he was which wasn't easy at times (laughs) but no he was he was a lot of fun to work for he was a great coach and obviously has shown in years after he for years after he's one of the best coaches in the nhl well i think that we've uh We've come to quite a consensus here. I know you hate to agree with me all the time. I can't time, believe but how was, much we uh, got along there. That was, dang it. That was awful. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for participating in our uh, our 
two or two decades of all decades, uh, all decade Islanders, and uh, maybe we'll go back even more in time if we've got some more time to fill in the coming weeks. But uh, thank you as always, my friend. For uh, fun, I enjoyed doing the homework. Yeah, thanks for thanks for chopping it up with me as always. And uh, Islander fans, thanks for listening in. This is No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from the Athletic. We'll catch you again next time.